house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Sisters. And a daughter. You look alike, you two. No, thanks. Yeah. Holding on. Wow. Letting go. Don't you get it, mother? I want to be on my own and you on your own. Let me live my own life. And the life in between. Even if she's ruining your life, there's something about my mother. Some romance. Some power. Honey, we're going to make it work. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that henkles your Von Donner's mark, but on a speedboat. Uh, Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, freelance entertainment writer Chris File, and I am here with my co-host, and wouldn't you know she wants to be an actress, (laughs) senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Mom, I want to go back to Wisconsin. We're not going back to Wisconsin. Hello, Henkel's your Von Donner's mark? Really? I Truly. Mean, tr- that wow. movie? Henkel's what me. even would that mean? He really Henkel's my, know. my Von know, Donner's mark. That's the thing that uh, Susan Sarandon says to Natalie Portman. It's a thing that adults do in bed. And yeah. Sometimes. Only, I can't guy do not do it. But... Guy doesn't do it for every woman, but a very special woman. He'll Henkel he her Von Donner's mark. Yeah. On a speedboat, he'll. Wow. Oh okay. God. Wow. Won't go there. Um, <laughs> so life's a speedboat, honey. Yeah. Uh, as Joe and I were having a lovely mother-daughter moment um, <laughs> this week, if we haven't given it away to you, we are going back to one of the most discussed movie years for naturally something less discussed: mother-daughter drama anywhere but here. Starring a recently Oscared Susan Sarandon and a fresh off the force uh, Natalie Portman. This film is about a fraught mother and daughter relationship recently transplanted to Beverly Hills. If that sounds like something you've seen a million times, Oscar thought so too. Uh, Joe, were you able to remember which one of a million similar films anywhere but here was before you watched it for this episode? Uh, I was. I think a lot of it goes into what a huge fan I was of both Susan Sarandon and Natalie Portman at the time especially. Uh, still am basically, but especially back then, I was I was in on Portman almost from the beginning. I wasn't one of those like weird. I'm really into the professional people because I feel like to be really into the professional is kind of weird. Yeah, but I think a lot of people are and were. Um, but I loved Beautiful Girls, which also is sort of suspect in a way, but like not in the way I did. Um, I felt a kinship with young Natalie Portman. We were. Young and fun. I don't know. Um, I was just really impressed by You're both her. wearing hairbands. That's right. Not I did not flirt with weird men in their thirties in 
my neighborhood however yeah an inappropriate yeah in inappropriate manners but no um i was i was really all in on her from that movie and so anything that she had been doing throughout the career i was super into and this especially was such a big deal she was with one of my favorite actresses susan sarandon she was in this you know fun little road trip movie that was getting awards buzz and i of course loved everything about that so this one definitely sticks out for me in my memory although watching it again it it had been a long time there was a lot in this movie that i didn't remember and i both liked it less at some parts and more in other parts which was which was surprising to me which i was you know happy to be surprised See, I had the opposite experience rewatching this movie because I'd seen it at the time. I definitely, this was like a rental for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't necessarily remember it in like the thick of the Oscar side of it. And I remembered it opening much closer to The Phantom Menace. Uh. Um, but also, like, as I was rewatching it, more of it came up in my mind. But I have to say, it's like you could see how this movie faded away quickly at least in how it was promoted because it's literally just like two smiling actresses on a poster and they're that playing the, mother well, and daughter it's the most afterthoughty poster i've ever seen first of all the glaze on the two of them in this poster it's this like it's supposed to be i think ideally it's supposed to be this like california tan like sunny glow but it honestly looks like they dipped the both of them in sugar-free caramel and just sort of let it set and because it looks like it's also very airbrushed and so like nobody has defined features natalie portman's teeth look like a solid like white block you know what i mean like there's no poster tagline could have been because you're worth it yeah yes do you remember you're probably i don't know you might not be too young um when Lynn Redgrave used to do the ads for Weight Watchers. Oh my god, yes. Okay, and the tagline for that was, this is living. <laughs> you don't remember? Okay, see, that I remember. That when she would do this whole spiel about, like, Weight Watchers, blah, 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 blah. And, she'd, uh, and then at the end, she would just, and there was a little, like, musical accompaniment. She'd go, this is living. Weight Watchers has 23 entrees. That's more deliciousness than anybody else. 23, including chicken sweet and sour, southern fried or cacciatore, spaghetti, ravioli, and the ziti macaroni. There's filet or fish or gratin. Oh, now what have I forgotten? Weight Watchers. This is living. And, like, that's all I ever knew of Lynn Redgrave up until Gods and Monsters was that. So... This reminds me a little bit of that. Because you're worth it, this is living, this sort of It's just like this general it's so like soft no focus. effort. It's so yeah, it's that, so fuzzy. Like, you could tell it was just a bunch of men behind like marketing and selling this movie that it's just like anywhere but here for ladies. Like and, it, you know, whereas like the movie is much like I will say for a movie that I like quite a bit, it's a little difficult to sell you on like what is great on it other than to be like, it's great. I enjoyed right. the heck out of this. So maybe so we can actually like dive into something and like grapple with this movie. Would you like to give us our 60 second plot description for this? Before week? I do, though, I don't want to quite let go of this poster thing quite yet because oh, no. 
And to quote a podcast I know the both of us love very much, uh, Las Culturistas, podcasts are a visual medium. So podcasts I want to make medium. sure that we're talking about a thing that that right now, if you're listening to this, you probably can't see. But there's it's one of those posters where it's the two of their faces. They're sort of like big on the poster, but then there's an inset image that is also just a scene from the movie or I'm assuming like a cut scene from the movie or something much more like in costume, in character, right? Right. Where, where Susan Sarandon standing on a bench in like a pose in her so little like... floozy dress and her shades and her, like, I'm going to go to California and make a fool of myself. Look, and then Portman sitting like a sullen teenager with like legs crossed hand on her palm, sort of, you know, very sullen and dejected. And like, if that's the image, that's much more telling of what the movie is. Right. So make that your poster. But no, the idea is the poster has to be this placid, soft focus. Everybody looks pretty. Like, n- neither Natalie nor Susan ever really look quite like this in the movie. It's, so it's, they're selling you on the stars. Which, is like, that, I mean, I guess and that is honest. That's and, that is, like, ease. Yeah. Don't you don't you love these two faces? Don't you want to be like these two ladies? Yeah. Don't you so. want to feel the way they do? It's literally like product placement, like the type of thing where it's like, I'm smiling while I eat my salad. Don't you want to be this oh, happy? No. Eat this salad. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what yeah. that poster's doing. All right. Now I'm ready. All right. You ready for your 60 second plot description, Joseph? Yes. All right. Your time begins now. All right, Susan Sarandon plays Adele. She has a daughter named Anne. They live in Wisconsin, in Bay City, Wisconsin. But Adele has never felt like she belongs there. She's always wanted to bust out. She, she's she been married to this guy, Ted, who's just sort of this like nice, boring guy, but they leave. They leave Adele's family and, and Anne's best friend, who is her cousin, Benny, played by Sean Hattesey, and they go drive across country and go to live in Beverly Hills. And Mom has these dreams of of getting a job there and living a fabulous life. And you can tell she probably just wants to marry a rich man, but that's not happening for her either. 30 and seconds. they fall on sort of hard times. Uh, Adele keeps trying to push Anne to be an actress. Anne is a miserable, miserable teen during most of this, where she just wants to go back home to Wisconsin. They find out at some point that Benny has died in a car accident and the grandmother has a stroke. So they go back to Wisconsin and it's very harrowing. And all of a sudden, like they don't belong anywhere. At least Anne feels like she doesn't belong anywhere. And then she applies to Brown and she gets in and there's this very fraught thing of, should we go to Brown? Can they afford it? And ultimately uh, Adele sends her daughter off to Brown and it's very sad. And that's time. I skipped over some stuff. I mean, but still. like it, but like that's the. There was a boyfriend the in there. Caroline Aaron shows up at some point. You know, I was really hoping that like there would be some things that we could gloss onto that kind of set this movie aside from like similar movies, but it, it kind of doesn't when you describe it. But like again, listeners, if you haven't watched this movie, it's really lovely and wonderful and like absorbing. What did catch my ear? was Billy, who was played by Sean Hattesey. Benny. Who I, Benny, who I was so uncomfortable with this whole movie because it's a cousin, right? And there's like... There are a few things in this movie that really remind you that this is based on a novel. And some things to me always sort of scream novel to me, even like ephemerally. One of them is... One of them is less ephemeral. One of them is anytime there is this much voiceover narration that's not really necessary. You don't ever really need to have Portman's character do as much voiceover narration as she's doing here. We can basically get the gist of what she's feeling through the performance. But 
that's how you know it's based on a book because a screenwriter for an original screenplay would never, first of all, allow that much voiceover in it because it makes them look like a weak screenwriter. But another thing that screamed novel to me was both the close relationship of Anne and Benny, which I think plays better on a page because you don't have to see actors acting next to each other. I think once I think once you have to watch somebody like Natalie Portman, who is like a known actress, and Sean Hattesey, who's a known actor, your expectations are so warped. It's like this Pavlovian sort of yeah. it's that thing where like where, you know, two objects are close enough to each other that they sort of start to merge. If you see two sort of teen actors of a certain generation be that close to each other, your ex you are automatically going to connect that dot and be like they're flirting with each other. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't even think it's just like that's where our minds go. I think there was like a distinct sexual energy there to the point that I was like, if this was a John Irving book, this would be way more uncomfortable, like more. Overt. So do you feel like in the original conception of the book or even the screenplay that there is intentional blurring of the line between their being cousins and being like kissing cousins. It was, I, I couldn't really, I was like, I don't want to think about this. So I was trying not to think about it. It did make me wonder though, because of like the era of this movie and like the like closeness and like the physical closeness of them and just like the energy. Was, like, is this character originally supposed to be gay and then got like straight washed in the movie? But yeah, I was, don't know though. A little incesty. I think it's one of those things where if you swap the gender on Benny, it doesn't raise any eyeballs or eyebrows at all. Raise eyeballs. Right. Oh, my God. I don't want to do that. Oh, my um, eyeballs were raised. They were, like, <laughs> popping. Um, but I think – and I think also – I think it's just a matter of if you read that in a book, you – it's it's less of a thing. And you just just like, oh, her best friend is her male cousin. Like, you know, that that's true in a lot of families. And so she naturally would be devastated when he died and naturally would be, you know, tied to him when she moved away. But, yeah, I think you're right. That is absolutely a thing that, like, because they mentioned their cousins right away. And even still, I'm just like, real cousins? You know what I mean? I'm just keep yeah. trying to, like, figure out a way that this movie is going to find a loophole to get them together because that absolutely does seem like what's going on. Like, And then they'll do scenes like, when he comes to visit them in Beverly Hills and he sleeps over and like he's sleeping on the floor and she's in the bed and she asks, she, I think they just start talking about whether each one of the two of them is having sex with someone. And there's a little expectation that there's going to be jealousy in the air. And then it gets diffused with like a joke or whatever. And then they're in the airport when he's leaving and he's walking down the sort of walkway to get onto the plane and he stops and he like puts his face right up against the glass and it looks like he's going to kiss the glass to like say goodbye to her and yeah. then he like like suction cups his mouth to the thing and like blows a big makes his cheeks puff out or whatever and it's a big dumb thing and i'm just like are they doing this on purpose or is this just sort of again my brain kind of connecting those dots i think i think it's maybe a little bit more the latter but i think you see some intention there yeah. I don't know. Either way. Either Little way. Odd. Yeah. Okay, so you talked about Natalie Portman and how you before this seeing this film you were already in love with Natalie Portman. This was probably because I would have been too young for the professional or beautiful girls. I this is probably my first memory of Natalie Portman and Phantom Menace doesn't count. 
Um, yeah, that's interesting. So I'm trying to think of what other movies she's made. So before this, she's done The Professional. She's done Heat. She's the daughter in Heat, which if you were too young for Beautiful Girls, you would have been too young for Heat. What's the age difference between us? What year were you born? I was born in 87. Right, so I'd probably seen yeah. Heat, but crucial. like not enough to track that this is the same actress at the time, at least. Right, right. And then uh, 96, she's in Everyone Says I Love You and Mars Attacks. Both of those. Oh, of... no. It would have been Mars Attacks, actually. Was, yeah. Um, yeah. Big Mars Attacks fan. Um, and then she spends several years making Star Wars, and so no movies in 97 or 98. It's just interesting to me how because like it's a hindsight thing for me and you obviously were a little bit more aware of it like if you can track a little bit of like natalie portman's rise because this she was nominated for best supporting actress at the globes and it like it definitely feels like that was something she was building up to right because she also like famously yeah. had anne frank on broadway there was something of a of a Saoirse Ronan's not quite a good comparison because Saoirse is not American, so it feels like she still sort of came from outside of that system. Well, but and I Saoirse think also got that Oscar nomination very young, too. Very young. Very young. There are similarities. I think Natalie in The Professional and Saoirse in Hannah are, you know, a little bit analogous. And But anyway, it's. I think the point is, from the very beginning, from Leon The Professional... It is apparent that this girl is, it's like, that was a little bit of a Dakota Fanning thing. You know how, like, once anybody saw Dakota Fanning in anything, they were like, oh, this girl's, like, got it for real. Yeah. And ultimately, Dakota Fanning's adult career hasn't, you know, panned it out the way. It's as interesting as Natalie Borman's. Right. But Natalie, they saw right from the beginning that, like, okay, this is a girl who's got something. She's got a future. And I think I saw the same thing when I saw Beautiful Girls. I was just like, oh, shit. Like, this is a, she's, you know, she's obviously very young, but she is so self-possessed and, and can hang in these scenes with these adults and doesn't seem forced or anything. It just feels like she's very relaxed and casual. And it was so impressive to me. So right, right, right from that point, my eyes on her. And... Everyone, everyone says I love you is a weird movie in so many respects. It's almost, it's almost impossible to. I find it so hard to even evaluate the performances in that movie because I everything don't know. about that movie feels like it's just an experiment. Yes, exactly, and so you for don't ever want to hold, and you don't want to hold anything against anybody for that reason. But also, it's not a good or interesting movie, so you don't want to credit anybody too much with it either. So it ends up being, and. To call it a nothing doesn't quite make sense either because it is in many ways fascinating to watch it sort of happen in front of you. But I, it's it defies evaluation for me still, like all these years later. I don't quite know <laughs> what to say about it. Mars Attacks is either you think it's so ridiculous that it's fantastic or you think it's so ridiculous that it's awful. And I was in the latter camp at first and I've never fully been able to get back to the former camp, even though I get why other people find it so appealing and it's you know silliness kind of silliness yeah i exactly. haven't watched it as an adult but like as a younger person i would have been in the former category yeah. um one of the reasons that i taught i like wanted to bring up the trajectory is especially if like natalie portman was the like awards candidate for this movie or like the biggest 
talk of the buzz for it, is it didn't really track for me unless it was like, you know, a building narrative for this actress until she has this audition scene Mm -hmm. where she essentially goes in and ad-libs as her mother, as Susan Sarandon's Adele. And Adele, like, sees it and it, like, causes causes this big rift between the two of them because, like, she's using her mother kind of cruelly as this inspiration for this audition. And Natalie Portman in this audition is so, like arrested and like formidable in this way that like makes you think about like well what does hollywood like look for in young actresses because Because she's she's not she's not necessarily great is the other thing it's not quite a naomi watson mulholland drive thing where all of a sudden she becomes this like great actress she's still very ragged and very uh, in a way that feels hard. like it's a choice by Portman as yes. this like very intelligent young actress yep. to play a yep. young actress who isn't very good. Can I tell um, you what my notes say at this point? What? It says Susan watching Natalie's audition kind of makes the movie. I think that was the point yep. where I turned around in the movie because up until then, I'm like, maybe I'm remembering liking this movie wrong because I up until then, it felt like... I actually wrote down at another point, I was like, is Natalie maybe too formidable for this role? Because I think it kept trying to make us sympathize with her and her anger and her sort of like impotent rage at her mother. And I'm like, I don't buy this because I think I just think she's too self-possessed for this. I'm not I don't feel bad for her because at any point, like she could be she'll be fine. Of course, she's going to be fine. She's Natalie Portman. And so ultimately, I just think she's being too mean to her mom. But I think that was the point where you see you see that character kind of snap into place and you absolutely like Sarandon's performance in that scene is so heartbreaking. And I think all of the sort of over the topness of what she had been bringing to the table up to that point also makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that scene totally clicks the movie into place and I'm fully with it from then on. And I actually really kind of like and by the end, of course. I think that scene in the airport is so sad, but I'm so glad you brought that scene up because that's exactly, that's exactly where I'm at. And like, she also has this like odd sexual energy in it too. Like she is like riffing on her mom's sexuality in a way that would be fully inappropriate for this. Like what? She's probably 15 or 16 in this scene. They say she's 14 in the movie. And it's like, she's supposed to be impressive though they never i don't think they say if she gets the role or not but like we as an audience are supposed to be impressed and it's like she's wise beyond her years she's worldly in a way that's like gross but she's also cruel like that's the other thing yeah she's very cruel in that scene in a way that feel like again like it feels like the actor making the choice and that's what's so impressive about what she's doing and not to like belittle younger or like teenaged performers that they can't make smart decisions because obviously they can but like yeah this felt rare one thing i also wanted to bring up because we're you know we're entering this conversation with portman which is which is right because she's the one who got the actual golden globe nomination which was the closest this movie got to anything oscar wise but i think in the lead up to it i think sarandon was definitely buzzed as much if not more than portman as people were anticipating the movie. I remember at the time, and this might be a just me thing, me being a weird movie obsessive, you know, 
closeted gay guy or whatever. But I remember at the time feeling like it was Streep and Sarandon and then everybody else in terms of just actresses. It was, they were the cream of the crop. They were the class, the class acts. And maybe it was because of the 95 Oscars that Sarandon won and Streep was nominated. And I always feel like they were sort of, you know, tied to each other. And then 1998 Golden Globe nominations get announced and I forget who the other three actually I can bring this up right now so in Best Actress in a Drama 98 it's Cate Blanchett and Elizabeth Fernando Montenegro and Central Station and Emily Watson and Hillary and Jackie all of whom end up being Oscar nominees and then the other two were Streep and One True Thing, who also ends up being an Oscar nominee. And then Sarandon and Stepmom, who was, you know, a huge, hugely buzzed for that movie. We should do Stepmom for this at some point, too. Um, And I remember in some of the reactions, that's when I would, like, watch E! And E! would have, like, you know, reactions to this. And Entertainment Tonight would. And they would talk to, you know, Leonard Maltin and whoever. And... I remember there being a fair bit of grousing about both Streep and Sarandon's nominations at the Globes, taking away from whoever, you know, they felt like was more deserving, but that it was these two sort of established actresses doing, if not lesser work than, you know, not their peak work. And I think there was a lot of resentment for both of those nominations. And so that was in my mind as I'm thinking of those two. And then because the next year... Streep has Music of the Heart and Sarandon is in Anywhere But Here. And I remember in the lead up to the Globes, because at this point I'm trying to like predict the Golden Globe nominations already. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be Streep and Sarandon again. People are going to be so mad. Even though Sarandon, if anything, probably would have gotten nominated in comedy. I don't know. I don't know what they would have done. But anyway, Streep gets nominated again for Music of the Heart and then Sarandon gets fully snubbed and and it's Portman instead. But ever since that, I've always thought of Sarandon and Anywhere But Here sort of like tied to Streep, that Streep was able to muscle her way into both of those years' best actress races, even though there was huge bitching and moaning about both of them, especially Music of the Heart. People got so mad at Meryl. People forget that. People were so pissy about Meryl Streep getting nominated for music of the heart, especially because it was 1999. There was, you know, X number of better options. Sigourney Weaver's out there for Map of the World, even though, like, come on, that was never Nobody saw that movie but me. (laughs) Reese Witherspoon for Election also should have been, but, like, that was never going to happen. Like, but there was so many. Do you remember this, or are you you maybe a little... No, I remember remember this. I mean, like, the bench for 1999 in any category is pretty deep. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah. I remember when I was like, you know, baby gay making like my list, you know, who used to be on my list that was also Golden Globe nominee, a who? Golden Globe nominee, Sharon Stone for The Muse. I fully remember nothing about that movie, but I remember just being obsessed with Sharon Stone in that movie. That's an Albert Brooks. He like wrote and directed that, right? Yeah. Yeah. With Andy McDowell. With Andy McDowell. I've never seen that movie, but like he was sort of, that was his follow up to Mother, I would imagine, right? Yeah. So like he was on kind of a roll, at least with the Golden Globes. Like the Oscars didn't really follow suit, but I do love the fact about Sharon Stone is she's been good enough to get some kind of awards attention for so many more movies 
than you think. I'm pretty yeah. sure, like, I know she, she got something for the been. Mighty. She got a Globe nomination for the Mighty. She wins the Globe for Casino. Did she, If she didn't get any nominations for Alpha Dog, it's only because, in my mind, I, I wished for it too much. And probably nobody knew that she was in that movie. I haven't seen it. I didn't know she was in it. She's also, buried in a fat suit muse, for at least half of those scenes. Which is, like, barely removed from Casino. The Muse was, like, sold as, like, a comeback for Sharon Stone. Ridiculous. Oh, well, Sharon Stone, I wrote about this a little bit with Julia Roberts, and it's it's much, it's a little more lighthearted with Julia because Julia's career ultimately has never been in danger. But it's a little bit more annoying with Sharon Stone. Like, Sharon Stone has had to make a comeback with literally everything she's done since Basic Instinct. Because remember, Basic Instinct was supposed to be so notorious that it was going to end her career, right? And it ends up making her career. But then, like, she does Basic Instinct, and then she does, in quick succession, um, Sliver and... What was the one with Richard Gere? Uh... Intersection. Sliver and intersection in, like, sort of quick succession. And people are like, it's too much. Too, like, there's, you know, too too many sex thrillers. Like, intersection's not a sex thriller, but it's about, like, infidelity and whatnot. And then The Specialist. And it's just like, no, it's too much. Her career is dead. The quick and the dead is into success. So she's done. And then Casino happens literally the same year as The Quick and the Dead. And it's just like, she's back. And then she makes Diabolique and Last Dance and Sphere. And it's like bomb bomb critically despised and it's just like she's done again and then the mighty and gloria happen and the muse and it's just like she's back and then it again goes away she's you know not in anything forever and then what's the next comeback um it is a while since then but like every time she'll like show up in something that somebody likes i guess elf dog was even like a comeback and that just like it was a major role in something again did you and i see the disaster artist together because i distinctly remember like screaming when sharon stone came on the screen me too we were the only two bitch we were just me and you oh yeah because it was homos in the corner straights and we were like doesn't she like turn around in a chair or is that just my memory no not in a chair but like she walks into the frame for um wig first (laughs) <laughs> and then, like, behind this massive, like, fridge is Sharon Stone. It's such a great moment in that movie. It. It's so wonderful. God. I hate that we can't love the disaster artist as much anymore because James Franco's such a shithead. But, like, there's so much in that movie that I found so delightful. And Sharon Stone was at the top of that fucking list, I yeah. will say. Melanie Griffith, man. Yeah, I'm saying. Was there TV? I guess, yeah, she, like, showed up on The Practice and got a Emmy, like, won an Emmy Award. That was one of her comebacks, for sure. I don't know. Mosaic, when she did Mosaic earlier this year. Yes, let's backtrack. If I can bring it back to Sharon Stone, or not Sharon Stone, (laughs) let's bring it back to the topic we're talking about. Um, If I can bring it back to Susan Sarandon. Of course. I think I have, like, I think I know why it kind of or at least what I can boil it down to of why there's the resentment against her. It's like people forget that it took a lot to get Susan Sarandon that Oscar. And like it. Oh yeah. Building momentum, 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 dead man walking happens. She finally wins and she still has never been nominated since winning for dead man walking. Part of it is that the roles immediately started drying up. Which is, you know, 
a horrible fact of life for Hollywood. Immediately, Part- though, she had stepmom a few years later. That's true. I just true. think there's this thing where it's like when you build up this narrative of you are overdue, it's like once they finally give it to you, they're oh, sick of you. It happened if, if as long as your name Especially is to not, women. Only Meryl Streep has been able to defy this, right? And everybody thought it was going to happen to Meryl, too, when she won for The Iron Lady. They're like, well, she's, you know, she won't get nominated for these little, like, tweeners again. And then what does she do two years later? August Osage County, and two years after that, it's Into the Woods. Into the fucking Woods, which is not a good performance, and I love Meryl Streep. But, like, so she's been the only one who's been able to defy this. But it happened to Julia Roberts, where she couldn't get arrested by uh, the Oscars until August Osage County again happened how many years later? 13 years later. I still um, kind of think that there's a chance that she could be nominated for Ben is back. Maybe I'm crazy. I do too. No, you're not crazy. I think she certainly stands a better chance than like Nicole Kidman at yeah. this point. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like she's, I would say if I was going to list a top seven, she's in that top seven right now for contenders yeah. for that award. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, it's like Susan they Stranger. resent you for like, or it's like it, you build up this like overdue narrative and then it's yeah. like, okay, you're done. We have to take care of other people or at least that's how they treat women. The, the overdue and thing with Susan Sarandon was funny, too, because it certainly was true, but it her only nominations before Dead Man Walking are Thelma and Louise, where she's legitimately Oscar, like, deserves to have an Oscar for that movie in a vacuum. The fact that it was the same year as Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs is hugely unfortunate. But, like, in a vacuum, that is an Oscar-worthy performance in Thelma and Louise. She's absolutely phenomenal. Lorenzo Zoyle, which I will tell you is an Oscar-worthy performance. I think she's phenomenal. I always feel like I'm alone on an island when I talk about Lorenzo Zoyle. I think that movie is so wonderful. George Miller directed it. I remember being traumatized by it as a child, and it's maybe because so it's like a dying harrowingly child. Sad. And so, yeah. like, it's a horrible thing to watch a child sort of go through. And it's incredibly harrowing, but she's phenomenally good as is nick nolte who plays her husband um, i feel like so that's, that's the nomination that like is most forgotten that she has too well right because it's not as notorious as the client which was two years after that which was fully a what the fuck nomination nobody <laughs> expected that to happen that's basically this like pot boiler of a movie a john grisham adaptation which it's so funny to me that john grisham adaptations have gotten so many people nominations or at the very least like Holly Hunter and Susan Sarandon have gotten Oscar nominations from Grisham adaptations. Samuel Jackson was either globe nominated or SAG nominated for a time to kill. But like, and I feel like Danny DeVito got like buzz for the rainmaker, the rainmakers. Yeah. We should do at some point fully strange and bizarre. But anyway, so the client was the most what the fuck nomination in a generally what the fuck field of 1994 best actress. Like we'll go in on that sometime. I also feel like that's a movie star nomination. Like you don't nominate yeah. that performance for someone who's not like giving a movie star performance. And well, my guess is I'm assuming that movie made a ton of money. I remember it being very popular at the time. And the fact that like, you know, she's the unquestioned, you know, star of that movie. She's the one, she's yeah. the draw for that movie. So yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying she wasn't good or even worthy of it. I love the fact that, you know, a woman like Susan Sarandon is getting movie star nominations. That's what I want Viola Davis to get for widows this year. Yep. But 
ultimately then we get to dead man walking and it's like oh my god she's so overdue why don't you give her an oscar and she's also been... atlantic city did we mention atlantic no city? i was gonna say so then there's atlantic city which is her nomination from the 80s there's bull durham where she doesn't get the oscar nomination even though she is hugely worthy of at the very least a nomination maybe even a win she's like a dynamo in that movie so like it's not like the overdue label was wrong it's just a little bit interesting in the very sort of narrow scope of Oscar. And I think the other thing that we're forgetting, even though we shouldn't because she's doing the same thing these days, is she made a lot of people, she and Tim Robbins together, made people a lot of people really, really sick of her with the political grandstanding at every award show that they do, where they at some point like started to make a joke of it, where like before they would go and present like best cinematography, they would make some statement about, you know, the National Endowment for the Arts or, you know, some liberal cause or the other. And I like say some liberal cause, like I'm not in the tank for all the liberal causes. Like I yeah, but am. like and people are pissed off at her now and like rightfully so, but like she's always been an asshole about it. She's always been an asshole about it, and she's always it's, like, it's not, not like new. she's it's not right. It's not like she's just come to this. It's like she's she's in this all the time. Her head's in this all the yeah. time. She is maybe coming to different conclusions than yeah, I, I mean, would like, right she's now in her life. To a little bit more insidiousness lately. Yes, with like being an asshole about it, but yes. like she has always been an asshole. But she was like the one, like you know. Impotently calling out Bob Dole from the stage of the, you know, Beverly Hilton at the Golden Globes or whatever. And so I think there was a sense of if we just give her this Oscar, we don't have to keep, you know, yeah, keep in- inviting her along or something. It's not like she was ever shunned. But I do feel like there was a little bit of Susan fatigue in the mid 90s. And I do think the- she's definitely getting shunned now. Certainly. Oh, by totally. Audience. Although. Deborah Messing can sit down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like a little <laughs> bit of that. Like, I don't need this. And De- like, every time Deborah Messing does this and like 20 homos on gay Twitter will like post the eyeball emoji. And it's just like, yeah, I'm sure like Deborah Messing is owning this infinitely more talented and accomplished woman for, you know, with her little tweet. I'm sure she's really devastated her. Like, shut up. I don't know. I don't know. Again, messing. don't don't agree with basically anything Susan is talking about these days. But you know what? I guess I'm in the position where of like a Republican fan of movies in the 90s where it's just like lover as an actress don't need to hear what she thinks about things anymore. And that's sort of what <laughs> I am with her now. But like I still hugely, hugely respect her as an actress and just generally, I mean, my my mind responds to what it responds to, and what it responds yeah. to is the way that she acts. And I think she is a phenomenal actor, and I think she's so good in this movie. Okay, so we mentioned a couple other movies that she's been in since winning her Oscar. If you could at least just, like, what's the one performance that you would throw a nomination at? Irregardless of the year. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I have an answer. You have an answer. I know we talked a, in a couple weeks ago about her in Moonlight Mile, which is a movie I'm kind of dying to revisit because I don't know whether I was grasping at a straw and being like, yes, that. I think she's really... But I do think she's actually you know, pretty wonderful in that movie. I just don't know if I would feel you know, nomination-worthy. I think she's... Hmm. 
It just what feels like she you, should you... have like she should have been closer at some There's, point. There was a movie with like her, been... with with her with Michael Douglas who's playing this sort of like womanizer. I'm trying to remember what the title of this movie was. Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but it was around that time, wasn't it? It was. Ugh. Last Vegas. Um, and it no, wasn't arbitrage answer, either, but it was around that time, too. And, like, th- my answer is, like, clear. I wouldn't even consider anything else. I do What's love this movie. The Meddler. But it's also, it's The Meddler. Yeah, and, she's like, great in The so Meddler. And, like, it's so tied into, like, I would try to tell people that that movie was good, and people were so against seeing it because Solitary of Man is the one I was thinking of. Do you remember oh, Solitary Man? Yeah. It's not yeah, even that I good, mean, but I, I think she's... I remember the name and the poster. Yeah. No, you're totally right. The meddler is the right answer for that. Although also in the same in the same kind of vibe is Jeff who lives at home. Oh yeah. Right? That's a Duplass Brothers movie. Like not not as good of a movie as The Meddler, but I think again, I think she's giving a, a you know, really good performance in that. And The Meddler is also great for reasons that have nothing to do with her. Um yeah, we love The Meddler. It's really good. Listener. That was that Try was the to si- get past the Susan Sarandon of it all and watch The Meddler. Yeah, what does she have coming up? Anything interesting? Anything good? Maybe she not. had this movie know. that like even went to TIFF and like died was uh, called Viper Club, which I guess is yes. one of YouTube's original movies. Yeah. Oh, um, she's in uh, the new Roger Michelle movie. We keep bringing up Roger Michelle on these podcasts. You know, we think it's Lassa Hallstrom, but I think Roger Michelle is our like... It's a remake of okay. Silent Heart, which is the uh, Billy August movie, oh. which I've never seen, but is apparently a movie. It's Sarandon, Winslet, Mia Wasikowska, and Lindsay Duncan. Motherfuck, I'm going to see this movie. She also has the upcoming, eventually, maybe, possibly never, Zavia Delon film that I saw at TIFF, The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. Oh, right. She plays Kit Harrington's mother. Right. All right, before we get too far, we've been talking for a while. I want to talk about Wayne Wang, the uh, director yes. of this, for a second. He is a guy who, it's funny, I looked him up, and I would have expected him to have been one of those, like, oh, he's got a movie at Cannes every year, even though nobody talks about him. Um, and he's not. No, he doesn't. But he always seems to be able to make whatever movies he wants to make. He's There's always a bunch of movies where he's just like, it's funny that Wayne Wang directed, like, Last Holiday or Made because in of Manhattan. Dixie. <laughs> because of Win Dixie. Right. Even this movie, I was sort of surprised. And then you look at the credits and it's like, okay, like, yeah, it's Wayne Wang. So, like, Roger Deakins does the cinematography and Danny Elfman is doing the score. I always remember him as attached to this movie because he made The Center of the World next, which is like fairly sexually explicit movie. And I like that was like heavy into my Entertainment Weekly years. So it's like I remember that as almost being kind of like a response to this movie in that like this is a very like sweet sanitized. Yeah. And then he goes and makes this sexualized movie where... Molly yeah. Parker does things with a lollipop, I think. Uh, yes, because that was the controversy, that there was a theater distributor who edited that part out of the movie, and it was a whole thing. Yeah, Molly Parker, Independent Spirit Award nominee. That would have been two years before Deadwood, which is cool. Um, but I know Wayne Wang. I mean, obviously, he makes he becomes famous, especially in America, with the Joy Luck Club, which... 
I had seen in the mid nineties. You said you've seen much more recently. Yes. I've seen it much more recently. The joy luck club is a banger. That movie is awesome. I love this opinion. I want to see it now. It's because I fully don't remember. anything good. Like, and you can see why, like maybe it's possible. He was like a hired studio hand for anywhere, but here it came out from Fox. Um, and it's like it's an adaptation of a mother-daughter story. Joy Luck Club is four mother-daughter stories set um, in San Francisco and China with the alternating mother-daughter stories um, of immigrants. And like Joy Luck Club came back into like the popular conversation again this year because of Crazy Rich Asians and. It was promoted, uh, Crazy Rich Asians was promoted as the first all-Asian cast in 25 years with Joy Luck Club. And, like, the sad truth is there's, like, there's major white roles in the Joy Luck Club. Like, that's how, like, it's, you know, that just goes to show how shitty it always has been. And it's, like, we even have to fudge it for, like, Joy Luck Club. Um, But there's, like, there's interracial marriages with, like, shitty white men. And then there's, like, one nice white guy. Um, but God, the Joy Luck Club is so good. All right, that's the homework so it's like you can see, you can see how it kind of like a reductive studio head would be like, you directed this adaptation that's all women and mothers and daughters do anywhere but here. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm even being reductive and like he was actually drawn to the material. I don't know. Well, it's funny um, because my conception of Wayne Wang has always been this sort of laid back whatever happens Jim Jarmushy kind of director and that's only mm-hmm. I'm realizing because my main point of reference for him is Smoke the movie he mm-hmm. makes to follow the Joy Luck Club in 1995 which is this very mid 90s Jim Jarmushy kind of Harvey Keitel owns a cigar store and it's about him and the people who sort of wander into his cigar store it's almost like a uh, a higher budget, higher production value, classier clerks, less mm. vulgar. You know what I mean? But yeah. sort of the same kind of like a day in the life of the cigar store and then the stories that went around into it. And then at the same time, they made like as they're making smoke while they're like in between setups, essentially, they shoot the largely improvised footage for a second movie set at the same cigar store called Blue in the Face. And this one is, I remember, I need to see this movie again too, because this was a wild ride where like Madonna's in this movie, Roseanne's in this movie, RuPaul is in this movie. It is a like full on, like it's not even a movie. It's just essentially a collection of loosely improvised scenes. Jim Jarmusch is in that movie. Right. Jarmusch is in that movie, which makes me that's I feel like that's where like the big connection for me comes from. But like Lily Tomlin is in this, Michael J. Fox, Lou Reed. It's a wild, wild cast. This sounds like something I definitely need to see. We just need yeah. to start a Wayne Wang renaissance because I don't think like, it's necessarily good, but um and then so after Blue in the Face, we should start a like Wayne Wang movie club. That would be funny. And then after Blue in the Face, he does this movie called Chinese Box with um Jeremy, Jeremy Irons, Irons, who's a photojournalist. It's about the like handover of Hong Kong to Chinese rule. And then it's anywhere but here. And then it's this string of sort of um, semi-anonymous sort of you wouldn't realize he'd made these. I mean, you mentioned Center of the World, but then it's made in Manhattan because of Winn-Dixie, Last Holiday. And that's probably the last 
of his movies you've heard of unless you Snowflower and the Secret Fan. So for I was just about to say Snowflower and the Secret Fan is the other one. That Although I recall had Oscar buzz. for a second, but yes, it did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Joy Luck Club is like maybe an unfortunate comparison to Anywhere But Here if we're trying to sell Anywhere But Here as a real good movie. Um because like <laughs> it's like let's take everything that works so beautifully in the Joy Luck Club and let's reduce it down to complete genericness and that's anywhere but here like to the point where it's like let's instead of taking four different stories about grace and forgiveness and like right. healing and let's just make it two white ladies who don't get along. Yeah. Um so it's like the comparisons aren't necessarily fair, but if we are going to start our Wayne Wang film club, we should start with the Joy Luck Club. It is wonderful and austere and yeah. huge and so while, while we're on the subject of comparisons to anywhere but here, though, this is how I'll segue us into talking about why it did not end up doing well. And that's for, you know, myriad reasons. The reviews were middling. The box office was pretty weak. But I remember... Yeah. Speci- no, go ahead. I was going to say, it opened around Thanksgiving, and it was, like, out of theaters in two to three weeks. It opened against the box office winner. Um, its competition was the Pokemon movie. Whoops. Well, it was at least Oops. in theaters longer than two weeks, because two weeks after it opened, we get Tumbleweeds, which is the Gavin O'Connor-directed uh, movie starring Janet McTeer, who would end up being an Oscar nominee for that movie got won the Golden Globe for musical or comedy, which I always love the years where none of the American actresses in the mainstream movies have enough awardsy buzz to beat out the semi-known British contender who ends up winning. <laughs> that's like your Sally Hawkins or whatever who has to run from like the parking lot to the stage because that's how far back her table was. And McTeer in 99 was sort of that too. But I remember very, very specifically that Tumbleweeds and Anywhere But Here, because they were essentially the same setup, which is mother-daughter, friction, road trip. The mother is sort of a a free spirit. I've never actually seen Tumbleweeds, although I kind of of wanted to more until I found out it was a Gavin O'Connor movie. Gavin O'Connor, who directed... Um, Warrior, he directed Nick Nolte to one of the all-time worst Oscar nominations of my lifetime, which was Nick Nolte getting nominated for Warrior. I think that's not actually a bad movie. I just think Nolte's embarrassing in it. Um, He's also largely responsible for a lot of the problems that happened with Jane Got a Gun, where it's like Lynn Ramsey leaves and then like Michael Fassbender leaves. He signs on and then like they can't fill the role because like this guy keeps pissing people off, basically. Interesting. So was there, but he didn't show up until after Ramsey left. So like Ramsey's right, and then he like overhauled the whole freaking movie and pissed everyone off. That is not an interesting movie. Speaking of Natalie Portman, Um, she got a gun. She she sure fucking did. She sure got a gun. But I remember um, tumbleweeds and anywhere but here were pitted against each other in the way that you know we sometimes do with similar themed movies. But I remember it was very specifically that. Tumbleweeds is the scrappy indie, and Anywhere But Here, which was also technically an indie, um, because it was what? Distributed by Fox. Oh, it was Fox. Okay. Then, Mm. forget I said that. It's possible they picked it up at TIFF, because this was a TIFF movie, that it's probably too dated to figure out the details. Yeah. Anyway. Um, But 
Tumbleweeds was definitely the sympathetic one, and Anywhere But Here was seen as the one with the big Hollywood movie stars, which does not... Um, oh, it was Fine Line was Tumbleweeds. Yes, you're right. And that was Fox was Anywhere But Here. Anyway, the, the dynamic is big studio Anywhere But Here, tiny indie Tumbleweeds, and Tumbleweeds is the one with really good reviews so when it was opening then that w- there was the big push to get people to see this rather than see you know anywhere but here which was still hanging around in theaters and i was managed to able i managed to track down this la times article that was written at the time of tumbleweeds opening by amy wallace at the la times and it was very like it was kind of brutal towards not only anywhere but here, but also to a lot of the, it talked a lot about like female driven movies. Can, can, um, can we get women to come out and see these movies? There was one mention of, I want to read this paragraph. So uh, she says, but despite the pedigree, some critics found Sarandon's role simply grating while others faulted the whole movie for not ringing true enough. The film didn't make the mistake of other recent so-called chick flicks that mistakenly sought to draw women with subject matter that many find simply repellent parentheses the stolen child drama the deep end of the ocean for example or the marriage on the rock saga the story of us which is interesting this is back to nina um which is interesting because i can see why somebody might find the stolen child drama of the deep end of the ocean repellent although it's worth mentioning that that was an oprah's book club book and it was fucking huge back then um i do Mm -hmm. want to do an episode on the deep end of the ocean at some point because pfeiffer that's a whole thing. That's a whole story. Yeah. But like marriage on the rocks is a subject matter that women would find so repellent that they wouldn't see it. Like the story of us is a failure for a lot of reasons, but like, I don't think it's that, that women were so repelled by the idea of a marriage ending. Like, I don't know. This is like everything about that is what drives me crazy about the way that people interpret movies where people don't behave the way you want them to, especially when it becomes a gendered conversation. Because, like, I do want to see women that, like, I do want to see Susan Sarandon's Adele, who is like, yeah, those things that are grating about her, that's true, but there's also humanity. And Wayne Wang and Susan Sarandon are getting at that side of her. But yeah. like when people see these movies, they only just want to be like, oh, this person's annoying. This woman is a bad woman. Or like all of this. And it's like... It's and this thing, is a movie it's the conversation. Very... It's the thing that I bring up a lot when I talk about young adult and the way that people talk about that movie and how I interpret that movie as I see that it's trying to get at Mavis Gary's Mavis humanity and all of the like, mistakes that she does and still see her as a person whereas other people just say that she's bad or mean or i i hate this kind of interpretation where it's like you can't portray like histrionic people yeah or like obnoxious people without like getting at the fact that they're people like no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. But I think this sort of pitting these two movies against each other was if anywhere but here's Oscar chances weren't already sunk by this point, that did it. Like that comparison yeah. did it because 
Tumbleweeds. Especially when you're pitting up female-led movies against each other, specifically yeah. in a year like 1999, which feels incredibly macho to the point where it's like American Beauty is the like thinking man's like movie for that year, you know, and it wins. Well, I think 99 is an interesting year in that a lot of the movies that got nominated but didn't get Best Picture nominations were like End of the Affair gets a nomination for Julianne Moore. Um, tumbleweeds, boys don't cry. Um, girl interrupted. Girl Angelina interrupted. Jolie, Angelina Jolie, right? Um, like election gets the screenplay nominee. Talented Mr. Ripley, which is you know not about women, but like is a much more there's you know a feminine vibe. There's a sort of there's androgyny and gender roles, and there's a lot of you know not it's not macho in the way that you're describing. Say the insider or um the green mile Mile, about male grief right exactly so the hurricane which was not is super male gazy yeah the hurricane which was not a best picture nominee but it was still a major contender um yeah i think you've got something a little bit there and then so the women unfortunately are sort of left to fend for themselves in a sort of a bummer of a way even being john malkovich being john malkovich ends up being so much like keener and and cameron diaz's characters become becoming the heroes of that movie or like the 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 focal point of that ending Mm -hmm. i think is so i think is one of the you know more audacious and wonderful things about that movie but again it sort of then puts them into the sort of losing side of of those Oscar nominations, which is kind yeah. of too bad. Um, and then yet, at the same year, All About My Mother is winning Best Foreign Language Film. So, like, there's stuff happening all up and down the ballot at the 99 Oscars. The 1999 obviously being a famously, celebratedly, wonderful, revolutionary year for movies where, like, even the movies that weren't changing the, you know, changing cinematic history or whatever are still very wonderful and interesting and as with many great years for movies, the best picture lineup is underwhelming to match it. Well, well, and the other thing I was going to say about this year, like especially this like Oscar year, like even though it's like, you know, it's not great in hindsight and some of the winners are really not great that it's like there are many an Oscar watcher that were birthed this year specifically. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, sometime, like, I, I know that, like, people complain about the, like, waning, like, people who watch the Oscars, which is stupid because less people watch TV, generally speaking, than have in the past. Yeah. But, like, this feels like a true, like, if the Oscars are a Super Bowl for movies, this year feels like the Super Bowl for the Oscars. That's interesting. That's an interesting way of putting it. Like, it's an Oscars of Oscars. The Oscar of Oscars. Maybe that's just my age showing in, like, when I was really getting into these. I don't know. So, before we wrap up, I wanted to sort of almost, like, round robin through a few uh, topics. I took a lot of notes for this movie, so I want (laughs) to mention a bunch of things before we get into IMDb game. One of them is, did you see, were you able to catch that little glimpse of uh, Eva Amuri, Susan Sarandon's daughter? Uh, Yes, and also with her two, like, very late 90s on either side of her face, single bangs, Elizabeth Moss. Oh, yeah, like, that was my next uh, topic was 
Elizabeth Moss and Natalie Portman. Randomly showing up as her friends. Watching Elizabeth Moss and Natalie Portman in the same movie now, after having seen both Vox Lux and Her Smell at Toronto this year, was like a wild thing. It felt like watching the opening scenes of The Runaways with... uh, yeah. With Dakota Johnson and Kristen Stewart, sort of like before they became um, Joan Jett and Sheree Curry, where I was just like, before they became like badass psycho rock star It all started with people. these two characters, which it's like now. It all Portman, started in Beverly Hills. The pop star. Yeah. And then you have Elizabeth Moss is like Ugh. the like grungy one. Like at one point, Elizabeth Moss is like, like crimping her own hair, but like on her own like not with like a crimping iron like her she's got this like streak of her, her hair is a whole story in this movie i don't know this was also i think probably the year she started on west wing or the year her second year uh, on west wing so like there's a lot and also the year of girl interrupted so there's a lot happening for elizabeth moss in this year in this movie which is good do you want to talk about the soundtrack for a second okay so had I been in, not to like say that you did a poor job with your 60 second plot description, I would have led with <laughs> well. this movie is a two hour Sarah McLaughlin music video. And if you think I mean that as a pejorative, you have found the <laughs> wrong podcast. Okay, I have a couple things to say about this because you're 100% right. First of all, there was a two year period where everything on a screen had ice cream. As God, a, when as ice cream came song. on, I started singing along with it. Of course, that song, and that song wasn't new that year. That song was not a 1999 song. Fumbling Towards Ecstasy is like 1994? Now I'm going to have to look this up to make sure I'm not stupid. But like, Are we sure it wasn't 96? The, yeah, no, it was. It was 1994. Yeah, that's like a build, the 1993 album in Canada. Is like it was 1994 in the states. It was 1993 in Canada. Ice cream is not a new song, but the album with um, with building a mystery and whatnot, which was the album that Sarah McLaughlin ended up launching Lilith Fair with. Like that was the that was the yeah. Sarah McLaughlin era that like birthed Lilith Fair and then brought her into radio play because ultimately up until that point, the only Sarah McLaughlin song you ever heard on alternative radio was Possession, which was the first track on Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. I'm just going to, this is going to be a long podcast because you know what? Fuck it. (laughs) I get a chance to talk about Sarah McLaughlin. Um, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy is one of my very, very favorite albums. I was such a lesbian in high school. I can't even tell you. That was like my music Never would have imagined. My music taste was pure pure lesbian it was sarah mclaughlin tori amos melissa etheridge like forget about it joan osborne i alanis um but the only sarah mclaughlin that was ever on alternative radio was possession which as a song fucking slaps and and hell yeah bops and punches you in the face ice cream was always this like album track that if like you had the album and you made it to track 10 and it was just sweet little whatever little ditty and then why can't I remember the name of that album that Building a Mystery is on? Hold on. I'll look it up. Thank you. So when that album Keep comes talking. out, yeah. So when that album comes out, Sarah McLaughlin has this resurgence and gets a lot of uh, increased airplay because at this point in time, um, radio play is coming around to this sort of post Alanis pre 
pop kind of this is the environment where Lilith Fair would be born. Like the soil was fertile at this point. And um so the she got a lot title of radio play. Is surfacing. Surfacing, of course it is. I'm a bad fan. So then this sort of like because the version that they use in Anywhere But Here is not the album track from Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. It's this kind of remixy um little a little bit more even acoustic and like i to get more acoustic than ice cream is weird but this song especially had like a resurgence on radio at the time so it was and then people who did you know music supervisors or whatever latched onto it and it was fucking everywhere it was in movies it was in commercials it was in tv shows it was everywhere but the other sarah mclaughlin moment in this movie which honestly (laughs) made my jaw drop it made my jaw drop too because if you have ever been in a high school <laughs> choir, you have sung this song. There is at Benny's funeral, there is a children's choir doing I Will Remember You. So I Will Remember You was not on the aforementioned Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. It was not on any of her actual albums. It was It's on, from the Brothers McMullen it was, soundtrack. It was the soundtrack to the Brothers McMullen. If you know anybody who ever owned the Brothers McMullen soundtrack, they are either too Irish to function or <laughs> they are giant Sarah McLaughlin fans because that is the only reason why I owned the tape. No, it had been a CD. It was too late for tapes. The CD of the Brothers McMullen soundtrack is because that's has uh, I Will Remember You on it. I Will Remember You is a song I first heard on the season finale of The Real World London, where they're all saying goodbye to each other at the airport. Oh, my They're God. Like, I remember you in the background. That's how well I remember the first time I heard this song. Anyway, they sing this children's choir, this school choir, sings I Will Remember You at the funeral to the Sean Hattesey character, to the Benny character. I was so shocked. First of all, to hear the song. Inappropriately laughed. Oh, fully, fully inappropriately laughed. But also, my notes were like, this is cruelty to children to make them sing this <laughs> song. Because A, if they knew this person... If they were friends with Benny. Oh, right. This is so traumatic to make make them actually sing the words of the song. I remember I had a uh, friend from high school who died the year after he graduated. Um, So I was a senior. And so, of course, a lot of us in the senior class were friends with him. And the day... So we, we all, like, went to, like, the church for his funeral and then came back to school. But that day of the funeral, the, the PA system was playing Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here oh, literally God. on a loop. And to the point where, like, we were all getting agitated and mad, as you would if you hear the same song on a loop, no matter what the context, right? <laughs> but, like, in this specific context, people were being like, he didn't even like this song! Like, it to that degree, and that's all I could think of is... During this, like, I will remember you. It was just like, this is either too painful for these children to have to hear, never the, not to mention sing. And also, it's it's so on the nose that it is, like, it's got to be a knife in the heart of, like, this kid's mom and dad and family and everybody Jesus. else. I'm just like, all of this is inappropriate. All of this, I don't like it. <laughs> it's too sad. It's just utterly too sad. 
it's like all of those like ASPCA memes that it's like, I'm Sarah McLaughlin and I'm here to ruin your fucking day. Maybe that's just her whole vibe. Maybe that's whole that's all that Sarah McLaughlin is. It's just like I'm gonna make you Mood killer cry. Um, we're going to have to put up a goddamn disclaimer on this episode that, like, you guys, Joe goes off on Sarah McLaughlin for 20 minutes. So just strap on in and we apologize and please come back next week. We promise we won't let him do it again. But, like, this con- this soundtrack also, like, the movie kicks off with Katie Lang with the title track anywhere but here. Um, but yeah. there's like Poe is on this. There was an original. I'm pretty oh sure. Oh my there god! Was a- when Poe came up, I was so yeah. happy. There was an original. I think the the Leanne Rhymes song was an original song written by Diane Warren. One of the, you know, great Diane Warren songs that hasn't gotten an Oscar nomination. But like Lisa Loeb is on this soundtrack. Um, I'm trying to like scroll through. Patty Griffin is on the soundtrack because of course she is. Like it is. There is estrogen running through every corner of this and movie, and it. I'm so fine with it. I so love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any final thoughts? No. Weep not for the memories. We never talked about Slums of Beverly Hills, which is another comparison for this movie, which is the movie that came out the year before and was about a family with a particularly rebellious daughter sort of coming of age on the on the fringes of Beverly Hills and that was another okay. movie that got and compared I... positively to this one because it was more real and of course we love Tam- Tamara Jenkins Tamara Jenkins Tamara Jenkins how are we pronouncing this Either way we love her let we me just her. say if you are going to compare this movie to Slums of Beverly Hills let me get that can off that shelf for you because you are reaching just because they take place in Beverly Hills uh, and have a teenage girl in it do not make them comparable uh, movies but they did I just rewatched people did um, Christopher Slums of Beverly Hills cuz I watched all 3 of Tamara Jenkins movies back to back and they are all solid and brilliant um that's, and see, this is exactly what people do to women's pictures. I will get off of my soapbox. They will erroneously compare them just because of ingrained misogyny. I'm done. All right. Two more bullet points. One, we never talked about the boyfriend who my roommate last night identified as a oh, yeah. Disney Channel star at the time. Who I fully, I literally wrote down in my notes, how dare this boy not be Paul Walker. Because how dare that boy not be Paul Walker? <laughs> yeah, like, because like Natalie Portman and he, like, you think they're going to fool around because she wants to lose her virginity, but then they just, like, hug shirtless. That scene is so good, too. So teenagers that's, do. That's the scene where, because it's the, one of the stories that came out afterwards was that they initially wanted Natalie Portman to either go top, I think it's go topless. Um, in that scene and that she didn't want to and Susan Sarandon sort of, you know, backed her up and she didn't have to do it. First of all, that girl is 14 years old in the movie and I don't feel like the vibe of that movie is enhanced by seeing her topless. Like, what the fuck, Hollywood? Jesus Christ. But the other thing, that scene as is is so wonderful because it's so utterly awkward and unsexy. Well, the way the energy, like, shifts throughout the scene is really interesting. Yeah, also, that boy is so, again, I wanted him to either be Paul Walker or Ryan Phillippe, if only so we could have for posterity scenes of Natalie Portman and Paul Walker or Ryan Sad Phillippe. Sad hugging. Or, and he's also, the bucket hat he wears in that one scene. Oh my god. I'm so transfixed and trans transposed. It was like directly from a New Radicals video. The other Joseph, thing I want... 
What? If I told you at the time of Anywhere But Here that I was a religious bucket hat wearer. Oh, would not be Would surprised. you believe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so My brother was too. No, everybody was at the time, Chris. All right, last thing. I'm not even going to talk about Megan Mullally. She shows up and she buys the car. Yeah. Um, Megan Mullally buys the car from Susan Sarandon. Yes. Um, all right, actually, it's two things. Sorry. One of them is... Susan Sarandon disappears into the crowd at the airport at the end in the final shot of the movie, just like Natalie does at the end of Closer. Right? Oh my God. Also, the fact that Closer would only be five years later of this movie. I know, like, wild. that's a very, like, but it's wild that Natalie goes from this to that in that amount of time. Natalie Portman's progression as a performer, as an artist, is incredibly fascinating. I think it's going to keep getting fascinating around the time that, um, well, this episode's air uh, coming the first week of December, so Vox Lux will be opening, actually. Vox Lux does not work on every level. The performance may not work in every level, but yeah. I, I don't think there's any other performer like just going for it and taking the level of risks that she is doing this year again not all of them pay off and like some of it's like honey what are you doing right um it's it's huge it's um but i mean she's still really smart i just like it's exciting to watch someone go for it and like i think she's becoming that performer that is going for it every single time and isn't afraid to fail yeah. So I'm excited to see where she keeps going. That is a great button to put on this discussion, except to just say, why is Thora Birch uncredited in this movie? <gasps> why? Oh my God. Okay. So. Why? What is the purpose is of the... this? What is, okay. what is the reason? Thora Birch is in this movie as like. She's the in girl two scenes. Yeah, she's in two scenes. Like, it is clearly Thora Birch. This is like the era because she was. This is uh, American and this Beauty is a story is that I grate against because the legend tells that she was fired from election and the way that um, Alexander Payne has spoken very thinly veiled about her is that she was finger quotes difficult and petulant and all of this. And it's like, you have to wonder if she again was like victim of misogyny that's this is what we had we when we talked about um lauren holly where it's just like oh right she went away she fully like disappeared and went away and now it's like fuck what happened yeah Ugh. thor birch uncredited in this movie it's a we'll always have ghost world we'll always have ghost world okay imdb game imdb game right, we play this game every week um we always challenge the other person with the name of a famous person, actor or actress, and we challenge the we challenge each other to guess their known four on IMDb, the four movies or television shows that IMDb says that we will know this person for based off of their weird algorithm. Caveats being, we will say if there are any TV credits or voiceover work. We try to steer away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Harry Potter because those go right to the top, and that is boring. Joe. Yes. Would you like to go first? Sure. I'm going to give to you first. Is that what we're going to do? Oh, uh, that's fine. Okay. Oh, did you, would you, did you, were you asking if I wanted to guess first? Yes. Do you want to guess first? Sure. Okay. All right. Joseph. Yes. We were talking 
uh, Natalie Portman's friends in this movie. <laughs> Specifically, I talked about the weird 90s bangs of this one performer, Miss Lizzie Moss, Elizabeth Moss. My girlfriend, who in the Lizzie same Moss. Year would be in Girl Interrupted, who we both love in the upcoming film, Her Smell, quite a bit. Yep. Joseph. Yes. Your challenge is Elizabeth Moss. There is one TV credit. Okay, so TV credit is The Handmaid's Tale. Yes, not Mad Men. Yeah, I, uh, I thought this, I was this tricking makes you more there. Sense. No, yeah. I think Handmaid's Tale makes more sense. So three movies in addition to this. You mentioned Girl Interrupted specifically, so I wonder if that means that that's not one of them. Otherwise, it would have been one of the ones that I would have guessed. Um, she's not Very been impressed any... at how cunning you think I am. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where I am after I make a couple more guesses. Um, she hasn't really jumped into movies until recently. Um, uh, is one of them the one I love? Yes. Yes. No That's, wrong guesses. Two correct guesses so far. It's her and a Duplass in that one, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. I'm wondering if it's another, um, hmm, recent. They've got to be recent. They've all got to be recent. Um, I can't tell you how recent until you get too wrong. Okay. All right. Getting a little cocky here for somebody who knows the answers in front of them. Sorry. No, I think it's got to be another Alex Ross Perry movie, right? So it's got to be... Listen up, Philip. No, Queen of Earth. Yes. Okay. So we got, right, so got three out of four, and I've got one strike. Ooh, what else do we have? Girl Elizabeth Moss. I'm just gonna guess. Girl Interrupted. Girl Interrupted is correct. Yay! Congratulations on your four out of four. Nice. Elizabeth Moss is going to have a very exciting 2019. Um, yeah. Her smell is incredible. She is amazing in that movie. Go see it this coming March. If her smell um, was also... released this year, she would be my winner in Best Actor. She would also be my winner. Yeah. So we'll see she's what that next good. year holds. She's that good. She's that good. Um, and I get that that movie kind of alienates people, um, at least good. in the first like, half good. hour. But I'm like, glad. good. That's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. If it does, her performance is working. Yes. Um, she's also going to be in Jordan Peele's Get Out follow-up Us, which ah! is like my number two most anticipated movie of next year. And then we both share a most anticipated movie with Elizabeth Moss coming out next year, and that is The Kitchen with Melissa McCarthy and yes! Tiffany Haddish. Yes! We've talked about this before. So uh, my friend and future, I can say this right now, future this had Oscar Buzz guest, Tara Ariano, and I used to have... We used to talk about how you can like one Scientologist. <laughs> and it's you, Elizabeth Moss. Right now for me, it's Elizabeth Moss. It used to be, I can't remember, I think at one point it was Beck for me. Um, but it, it is right now, right now my, my one is Elizabeth Moss. So that's good. All right. I have two that I've been juggling for you. This is why I sort of like begged off and uh, wanted to wait. Ugh. All right. Column A or column B? Like what? Pick one. Um, statistically, column B is better for answers, so I will say column B. Okay, so we talked about Wayne Wang, and we talked about his mid-90s sort of talky Jarmusch-y movies, one of them being Smoke, which set in a Brooklyn smoke shop. Um, for that movie, hold on, I want to get the actual uh, statistic right. 
Oh, right. For that movie, Stalker Channing got a Screen Actors Guild nomination for Outstanding what? Supporting Actress. Yes. Yes. 1995 Supporting Actress nominee for SAG, Stalker Channing and Smoke. Your IMDb game challenge, Stalker Channing. No TV. Wait, let me just make sure. Sorry. I clicked away to go to the smoke. Uh, no television. So no West Wing. So no West she's Wing. She's won an Emmy for that. Um, Stalker Channing. Greece. Yes. Um, mm, to Wong Fu. No, even though that's so sad that's and a bummer. Stupid. Um, though maybe the rest are great too. Um, Practical Magic. Yes. Um, Stockard. Is her Oscar nomination Six Degrees of Separation in there? Yes, it is. You have Fabulous. three. You have three. And one wrong. <sighs> so Ooh, this part is so small, but I want to guess the first Wise Club. No, although honestly, that movie was so financially successful and is so popular that I wouldn't be surprised. But it is no, so that is wrong. So with two strikes, you get the year. The year is 2000. And I'm not going to give you any clues yet, but like, I could. Could. That's not really a clue. I'm just holding that over your head. Oh, okay. thanks. No, um, but like, there's, there's, there's clues I could give. Oh, mm, uh, oh, oh! She, 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 she's in the Walmart movie with, with Natalie Portman. That is the clue. It is the Walmart movie where, 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 where the heart is. Yep, you got it. My Walmart, other clue, baby. my other clue was going to be that she, that Tu Wong Fu was wrong, but she's essentially on this for another <laughs> role. Character. That's the same goddamn role. <laughs> what do you remember? What her character's name is and where the heart is? One of no. my all-time favorite character names. But, so, Stalker Channing and Where the Heart Is is named Sister Husband. Oh, Jesus H. Christ. Right? Right? That is the correct response to that. Again, based on a book. That's how you know also it's based on a book, is when the names, I think I've said this in relation to something else, is when the <laughs> names are goddamn insane. Um, Ruby D and Do the Right Thing is Mother Sister. So I always think of like Mother Sister and Do the Right Thing and Sister Husband and... And where the heart is, because those two movies really should be cosmically tied as closely as possible. Well done on Stalker Channing, Chris. Well done on Elizabeth Moss, FYC, her smell, and that is our episode. Y'all, we we had a journey. I just want to like, I just want to point out, we all went on a journey here together, and I want us to all sit in this for for just a second and just appreciate. The journey of being on the longest of listening to the longest episode of this on Oscar Buzz yet. So, <laughs> thank you for Actually, indulging me. We we, we went hard. down some some paths, man. We went down some paths. <laughs> we you know listened to some Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, forever. All right. Next week we talk about Courtney Love. No, <laughs> but what if we did? Um, no. Next uh, week's episode yeah. is a fucking banger. So like, get ready, you guys. Uh, yeah, we're recording these out of order. Next week, we got something fun for you. Um, yeah, that's our episode. Yes. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, 
tell our wonderful listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Can find me so on. they can at you with Sarah McLaughlin. Oh my content. god, if only, please do. I'm at Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R E I D. I'm at Letterboxd, Joe Reed, Reed is also spelled R E I D there. I am uh, uh, at Decider.com all the time, talking about movies and TV. We're doing a lot of holiday programming these days. We're going to do a lot of year-end stuff. I just wrote my little blurbs for our top 20 TV shows and our top 10 movies lists, so those will be coming out. So eager for everybody to read that, although this is going to come out well after, but I wrote a thing today. That was my favorite thing that I've written in quite a while, uh, an appreciation of Kurt Russell's long, proud history of fantastic facial hair as he's about to play Santa Hell Claus yeah. in the Christmas Chronicles, which, like, that's going to be my Thanksgiving night, is I'm going to settle with maybe a dish of ice cream, and I'm going to watch Kurt Russell in the Santa Chronicles. And you know what? I'm not going to be Christmas Chronicles, and I'm not going to be sad I did it. That that's, sounds like a plan. Yeah. I'm also on Twitter. Please also send me Sarah McLaughlin content. Yes. Uh, my name is Chris File. You can find me at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name where we have our running list of all of our titles um, IMDb game trivia slash stats, whatever you want to call it, and direct links to our episodes. I'm also at the Film Experience. That's the filmexperience.net. I'm writing about soundtracks, Oscar season, goodness. Um, we'd also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, a five-star review would be super appreciated and help us become more visible on iTunes. Make our dreams of our podcast daughter becoming a real actress come true. Um, and that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back for next, next week for more buzz and Sarah McLaughlin tracks. Oh.